everyone. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is our 118th episode of our journey through the Marvel superhero universe from the beginning. And we are going to be wrapping up the merry month of February 1966 and diving into March before all is said and done. Should I get the rundown of what we're covering? Yes. We're going to be starting with Amazing Spider-Man 36, going over to the Avengers 27, and then the X-Men 20 and Daredevil 16, which also features Spider-Man, so it's Double Spidey Night. Double Spidey Night! We should have had Spidey Popsicles or something. How would you get them to me? Well, we could have each independently bought Spidey Popsicles if we could find oh, someone. Oh, and I we're going to have to each independently buy the Captain America movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, okay, so yeah, so Amazing Spider-Man 36 is where we're starting. Now, I have said before, the back end of Ditko's run is not full of awesome. Some people disagree no. with me. Yeah. Well, this is definitely I, proving your point, I think, as we'll I see. I do like this one more than the last one. Okay. But almost because it's like a satire. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, this is, the bad guy, he's called the looter in this issue, but he's also called the Meteor Man in other places. <laughs> because they and don't care. Because they don't care. Uh, it's called When Falls the Meteor. So you might even think he was just the Meteor. Mm-hmm. But no, the Meteor is not referring to him, as we shall see. Um, there is no recap at the beginning of this issue because there are no continued stories in Spider-Man right now. Whoa. Only the subplots. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Script and editing are by Stan Lee. Plot and artwork by Steve Ditko. Lettering and stuff by Art Simic. Have you noticed that the credits in Spider-Man have gotten very plain of late? Yeah, they haven't done anything fun with him. Yeah. So I'm wondering if, like, be- again, well, some of this is hearsay because of the Marvel Untold storybook and just you uh-huh. know, fan rumor. But, like, if Steve Ditko was complaining about how he was being treated in the credits, maybe Lee threw up his hands in the air and just said, fine, you know what? No more fun and games in the credits. That could be, because it's pretty much probably more on Artie to, that he, who does it, right? We decided. Yeah. I just don't know if he how much he's writing what Stan tells him to write and how much he's doing his own thing. I, I don't know. I don't know either. Um, okay. So Norton J. Fester uh, finds a meteor and is like, awesome. I can solve the riddles of the universe. He takes the riddle back. He takes the meteor back to his place of employment and um, they're like, uh, yeah, we don't care about exploring meteors. We're looking for new kinds of hair tonic. If you want um, funding for your meteor research, try a bank. Bank turns him down for a loan, even though he swears he's going to have millions of dollars. So he's like, you know what? I can solve the mysteries of the universe on my own. I'll just tap into this meteor and see what happens. So he does and it spews some random meteor gas in his face. And it, like, coats him and, like, floats around him. And when it finally dissipates, he realizes he now has super strength. He can leap. He can squeeze metal. And he starts getting some ideas. Uh, we catch up with Peter Parker, who is actually having some of his subplot life this time, unlike last issue. He's going to school and he realizes that everybody has made friends, except he hasn't. He's a little bit behind the eight ball in the social scene at college. Gwen is talking to a friend, Sally, who's like, you know, Gwen, you can't be... I mean, you're so hard on Peter. Surely he's not as bad as you say. You know what? I'm going to go talk to him. And Gwen's like, be my guest, doll. 
So Sally goes, says, hey, Peter, you want to come to my party? And Peter's like, sweet. I love going to parties. Let's go to the party. She's like, sure, all the cool people are going to be there. He's like, sweet. I love being with the cool people. I want to be there. She's like, it'd be really great if I had some brains around and not just a bunch of muscle types. He's like, oh, I don't want to be thought of as the brainy type this year. Sorry, Sally. I'll come if I can. But, you know, I'm not going to promise anything. And she's like, okay, fine. So whatever. Gwen, you're right. He's really weird. Meanwhile, uh, Norton J. Fester has put on a costume and he robs a bank and he takes his money and he's like, sweet, that was awesome. And he basically goes on a crime spree. Now, Spider-Man swings around and hears about this, but doesn't know how to find him. Also, the Meteor Man has this really cool weapon. It's called a flashlight. (laughs) But that's not cool enough of a name so he calls it a dazzle light. Dazzle. And basically, he shines a flashlight in your eyes to dazzle you so that you can't see him when he gets away. Spider-Man's like, I wonder how his flashlight works. Is this a regular flashlight or is it just, I don't know. Um, so Norton's like, oh no, the gas that spewed from my meteor, there's no more gas inside it. <gasps> what if... What if I start to lose my power? What if this strength that I gave off this meteor goes away? I'm going to need more meteor. So he's like, okay, how am I going to do that? And Spider-Man, Peter, decides on a totally separate note to go check out the latest space exhibit. And Gwen Stacy also thinks it's a pretty cool space exhibit. And she sees Peter there. She's like, huh, he's a nerd. He doesn't even look at me. Here I am being all hot and stuff. And he's all looking at that techno what's this. So while they're confused and, you know, consumed by their own lives, Norton J. Fester, in his costume, raids the um, science uh, display to steal the meteor. Peter sees it, runs off. Quinn Stacy sees him run off, thinks he's a coward. But Peter changes to Spider-Man and comes back and beats up Norton J. Fester in his uh, um, costume and punches him and Knocks him down, but he pulls out his flat—I mean, his dazzle light—and he shines it in Spider-Man's face. And Spider-Man's like, "Oh no, that's a really bright flashlight. It must be like an LED light or maybe that iPhone light or something. I don't know. It's so bright." And he opens his eyes. Norton J. Fester is gone. So he's like, "Huh, that was weird. You didn't take anything. What was that all about?" And Norton J. Fester's like, "Man, Spider-Man kept me from getting that meteor. I had to go rob that place again." Meanwhile, Peter's like, "Oh." Hey, look, it's Gwen. How are you, Gwen? And Gwen's like, don't talk to me, Parker. So at school, Peter's like, hey, guys, what's up? And Flash is like, I've got this football here. I'm going to make fun of you, kid. Peter's like, don't make fun of me, Flash, or or something. And Gwen laughs and makes fun of Peter. And Peter's like, hey, Gwen, why do you hate me? She's like, I'll never tell. So um, the meteor man takes a really long time to rob the meteor again. But Spider-Man is super vigilant. So he's there when he does it. He can catch him. Um, and they fight and the fight goes outside and Meteor Man has this, uh, like balloon, this, this helium balloon that like ejects out of his backpack and he like flies away. Not entirely sure how he plans to get down later or if he's just going to go up into space like the X-Men. In any case, Spider-Man jumps up there to, to, to punch him a lot. And so he does, he punches him a lot. Rips off his mask like, huh, he's that guy. Okay. Um, He pokes a hole in the balloon, a small hole to let the uh, air dissipate or 
slowly so they kind of a controlled descent and the police capture the looter and the next issue the menace of the rampaging robots enough said yep uh now you go ahead sorry go ahead i was just gonna say you're right it's better than the last issue because it actually had subplots so that's at least interesting right that is the thing that makes it interesting but otherwise like you know you don't always know when a character is going to take sometimes you scratch your head as to why this character ended up being endearing for 60 years and why this one didn't when they're pretty much, you know, whatever. But I could see why this character didn't take. <laughs> and it really <laughs> does feel like a satire. Now, whether or not Ditko intended it as a satire, I don't know. Oh, but Stanley's okay. writing it as a satire, at least in the first few pages. Mm-hmm. He's like, Fester is a nut. Mm-hmm. He, he just says that plain out. This guy's a crackpot. Don't even pay any attention to him. Yes. Yeah, the captions were very descriptive of him, which is kind of an unusual style. Now, you have not seen Red Dwarf, right? I have seen a little Red Dwarf, yeah. I just okay. don't, like a couple seasons, but I don't know which ones, and I don't think it was from beginning to end or anything. Do you remember the basic characters of the hologram guy who's like full of himself? Yep. yep. I felt like Norton J. Fester had very Arnold J. Rimmer energy. Okay. Like he was very confident in his complete lack of ability. Yes. He definitely- Thinking and he, he was a lot better than he was. And then he's like- Thinking to himself, like, of course I flunked science because I'm accidentally going to be something cooler. Right. Like, that I one mean, has to do with the other, you know? Discovering the secrets of the universe could happen to me. I mean, it happened to Einstein. It was just an accident, right? So, of course, it could happen to me. If I just put this chisel and hit it with a mallet, it should be fine. Right. And there are a few places in the fights where Spider-Man's kind of wisecracking, and that kind of gives Lister energy. So there are some places in this comic where it's like Lister versus Rimmer. But pretty much throughout, Arnold J. Fester feels like... I'm sorry, Norton J. Fester feels like Arnold J. Rimmer. Yeah, I can see that. Very arrogant, but with, without any earning of that arrogance. Um, I don't think this is on purpose, but it is also the fact that maybe they're both drawn by Ditko. But page four really made me flash back to Peter discovering his powers for the first time. Yes. And I don't know, because he's doing a jump thing, and he's twisting metal the way Peter accidentally squished the pipe or whatever. And it's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of that. But the character's not cool enough to be like a negative version of Spider-Man, so it doesn't really matter if that's what he was trying to do on purpose. But <laughs> <laughs> it'd be interesting if it was. So the scene with the, the girl at college asking yeah. Peter out. Yeah. So I get kind of why Peter might not want to have the same kind of reputation at college that he had in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it's a faux pas move because, you know, people are just scared of smart people. But he says, I hated to do that, but I had to. I don't want another Betty Brant situation developing again. And I'm like, I don't think that's what this would have been, Peter. I don't think you're remembering that right. He said, I like this first reasoning better, which was, I I don't want to always be thought of as nothing but an egghead. But then, yeah, later it's like, he brings up Betty Brandt, and he says, she only liked me for my brains too, and I couldn't get through that kind of heartbreak again. But yeah, that is a little flimsy. Betty never, that was never the impression I got from Betty that she liked him for his brains. Well, towards the end, it was like, he got butthurt with her because she didn't want him to ever do anything dangerous like that Spider-Man person. So maybe he's misinterpreting and he's, he's yeah. like reducing that's, it in his mind. Yeah, I don't think that's what she was meaning exactly. I think it would have been fine if he was like into football or something. It was just like she didn't want him to be Spider-Man. I can't remember why she brought that up. But right. 
I don't even think she said, I don't want you to be Spider-Man. I just said, you're, you're not like that awful Spider-Man. And then he's like, but I am Spider-Man. And he ran away. Uh, well, he didn't want, she didn't want him to do anything dangerous. Yes. Linking it to Spider-Man was always, I don't know. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up nerd. I was born in 1975. So I grew up nerd at a time when nerd was not cool. We're all in this renaissance mm-hmm. now, and that's great. Liking comic books sucked. Not being good with girls sucked. Being horrible at sports sucked. And all you could latch on to was like, well, at least I'm smart. You know, that football guy probably isn't smart, which, of course, is a total baloney thing that you convince yourself. And in hindsight, I know that I was just being antisocial. But I think it would have been great if some gal in college or high school said, like, I really want you at this party because all we have is stupid jocks or whatever. I might have eaten that up. So I think I would have done, too. I don't know yeah. that I can relate to Peter's reaction on this, but uh, and then fast you know, forward each their own. 10 years to the first issue of Firestorm and. The football jock is the put upon, and the nerd is the bully. Yeah, that was weird. That's what I kind of. One of the things I like about the new MCU Spider-Man movies is even Flash Thompson is a nerd because nerd is in now. Nerd is a thing, right? So, right. So the bullies are nerds too, which is kind of fun. Um, speaking, I don't know if you have anything between this one girl and the next girl, but other than making fun of his flashlight, which is totally bonkers. That's what's not great about this character is his theme isn't very tight. Like he's and called also, he's called the meteor man, or he's also called whatever you called him, the looter. The, the, I don't think I said the looter at one point at all through the whole thing. Yeah, but like, how does meteors giving him strength have anything to do with him being a meteor man or a good looter? And well, he's a looter because he's just robbing stuff. But yeah, but his motivation. Okay, he a has no indication that he's going to lose his powers. Mm-hmm. I can see why he might worry that that's going to happen because they did just appear out of nowhere. They might yep. go away. Right. But he wants to find another meteor with the same random gas. And he thinks if he just goes to the science exhibit that has a meteor on display, it might have the same gas in it that would give him his powers. Yeah, right. And that's a stretch. I need more meteor, ju- meteor juice. Right. I'm running out of meteor meteors juice. don't usually have juice. And by the way, if I call myself the meteor, no one will suspect that my source of power comes from a meteor. <laughs> and also, I'll call myself the looter just because I'm stealing, even though... Molten Man steals, Dr. Octopus steals, everybody steals. So, like, to me, if you're going to call yourself the looter, you must come from a long line of highly specialized thieves or something, you know, who's really good at it. And he's just a guy with that's strong and he can therefore steal. I don't know. It's weird. It is it's, weird. This is just kind of a throw things at the wall and let's, we're done and Steve Ditko wants to leave thing feeling. But yeah. So, Betty, do you think. Because this is not the bit. When I say Betty, I'm sorry. What's Gwen. her name? Gwen. When uh, uh, do you think uh, we've talked about how like this is not the Gwen I know? Not that I know a lot about Gwen, but this is not a Gwen I picture when someone says Gwen Stacy. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is a Liz Allen before she fell in love with Peter. So they got rid of Liz because they quote unquote ruined her by making her like Peter, and we need a new Liz to hate Peter but be hot. Right. That's what it feels like. I see like. what you're saying. Like the early, early issues, like those first five, mm-hmm. whenever she was making fun of Peter like everybody else was. Yeah. I think once they started making her attracted to Peter, they kind of lost their way as to what to do with her. And so they mm-hmm. just they just got rid of her and they created Gwen who looks exactly like Liz and she can go around thinking he's a puny wimp and not liking him. And I, I can get her not liking him, but I don't like it whenever people have like unfair expectations of the character and that becomes their motivation. Mm-hmm. She gets mad at Peter for running off scared. How could he have helped? Everyone's she tells running him off you scared. should have helped. Yeah. 
Yeah, I always wonder about that too, especially in like, you know, your boys' comics, Superman comics and stuff. Like, what is Clark Kent supposed to do half the time? Right. Where were you, Clark, when that guy with the submachine gun was gunning down everybody at the bank? Uh, I was freaking running like the rest of you because I'm technically not bulletproof, wink, wink. Uh, yeah. I really liked how Ditko drew the spider signal on page 10 where like it's half on the wall and half on the floor. That was kind of cool. That was a good, that was a good, uh, yeah, art choice. Just a little minor detail there that made me happy. Uh, what else? I don't know what else I really had. Oh, uh, I, I do. He, go ahead. Go ahead. There's one point in the, uh, museum when he's, when Peter is thinking about like, if you ever actually had the chance to chance to be a big science buff. Uh huh. And they've done that in some of the more modern comics, and fans complained that Peter was having too much success. So don't do that. So speaking of early comics, remember when we had this theory that Flash wasn't as bad as we thought, and maybe Peter's kind of a jerk sometimes too? Mm-hmm. Like Flash just understands how to be more social in a boy, you know, typical boy kind of punch you in the shoulder way, and Peter doesn't respond well to that. And so eventually that creates an animosity between the two of them. Right. But here he is, Flash, page 15. Hey, Parker. There's nobody else around. Do you want to toss the football around with me? He's giving him a chance to socialize at this college that he's having trouble socializing in. So there's Flash being kind of cool again. And he here's Peter saying, Parker, no. but- yes, I know. That's the thing is like Flash definitely maybe approaches it the wrong way sometimes because, again, like I said, he approaches it like a guy's guy and all of us guys like to nag on each other and stuff. I, uh, I almost feel like it's it's not even a <sighs> – it's not even like an, uh, a thoughtful insult. It's just the name he has for Peter. Yeah. Hey, Puny Parker, come here. Yeah. But he offers to play with him. Yeah. And then Peter's like, I can't now. Anyway, if I outthrew you, you'd have a fit. And that's when Gwen Stacy's like, you outthrow Flash? Yeah. Ha, you ha, ran ha. into the museum when the robber happened. You can't be strong. Yeah. Anyway, I just thought it was like, dang, man. Flash is still kind of cool sometimes. He is kind of cool sometimes. Um, the visual of the looter getting away and the big balloon is what they had on the cover. Uh-huh. It is kind of a cool visual. It's kind of a dumb idea. I don't think that Fester would actually have been able to control this balloon very well. Um, but it he is was, what it is. He was reading X-Men comics. and got, Definitely got reading idea. X-Men comics. It really doesn't say how he was planning to slowly let the air out or anything that I could find. But We can assume there might be some mechanism, but... Yeah. Well, Spider-Man figures it out, so I guess there was a mechanism. But anyway. Yeah. Do you think that Ditko's trying to change the spider on Spider-Man's back? Because every single pick of it is way skinny. It is very skinny. I haven't really been paying attention to it. Is it not always skinny? I thought it was more round before, but now you're... I now know you're, originally it was round. Originally it was like a, a circle with little bitty legs. You're bringing up a point that maybe it's always been skinny, and I just noticed it with this issue. You know what? Last issue was skinny, too. So... Nothing new. I've just noticed for the first time that Ditko's spider back is different than everybody else's. Interesting. And probably different than it was originally. Possibly. I'm not going to go back that far. But yeah. Uh-huh. Well, it used to be blue for one thing. I think when Ramita comes around, it's going to be a much more circular looking thing. But anyway. Is that it? Yeah, I'm, I'm good to go on. <laughs> Meter looter? Okay, let's go to Avengers 27. Four against the flood tide. Part two of our Atuma takeover. It's not Atuma. It is Atuma. Yes, it is. Four against the flood tide. Uh, so we don't get a caption, but we get Hawkeye thinking captiony things. So maybe I'll just read that. He's sitting in that chair that's supposed to help him remember There's stuff. There's a big old capture at the bottom. Oh, dang it. You're right. Okay. 
Mad mixed-up story by Stan Lee. Icky, insane illustration by Don Heck. Daffy Dizzy delineation by Frankie Ray. Looney Lampoony lettering by Artie Semek. This month's ridiculous resume, or how complicated can a story plot get? Henry Pym, Giant Man, and Janet Van Dyne, the wonderful wasp, learn that Submariner is swimming towards New York. In an effort to alert the Avengers, ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta, wait, I didn't do that right, ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta, the wasp, is that their theme song? The wasp flies after Subby, only to be captured by Atuma and his undersea legions, who are causing the tides of Earth to rise in order to destroy mankind. Waspy escapes and warns the Avengers, who bravely tackle Atuma, all but Hawkeye, who missed the boat. Now, if you're still with us, give yourself a no prize and let's go. It doesn't say that those three Avengers were captured, and it also doesn't say that Hawkeye's trying to remember the code to check his messages to find out where the Avengers are. So while he's trying to figure that out, it actually happens really fast, and he remembers the numbers 1313. He gets up, and he has this weird sense that someone's in the room, and so he whips around and starts to attack, and that someone is, I'll pause here for a second if anybody wants to have one last guess, it's the Beetle. Bet you didn't see that coming. That's right. The Beetle from Strange Tales, Human Torch, who I think of as a Spider-Man villain, but I don't think he's ever He's in one Spider-Man issue, but as a, as a Torch villain in the Spider-Man issue. Okay. So yeah, it's the Beetle. But he doesn't announce himself as the Beetle. He just makes fun of Hawkeye for having bows and arrows for powers. So Hawkeye doesn't know who he is. And they get into a fight. And while they're fighting, Hawkeye checks the messages real fast, finds out about Atuma and where the longitude and latitude is. And he's like, okay, I need to just deal with this weirdo guy. So he's like, hey, you ever heard of the Ebola virus? Because I got a bolo arrow. And he shoots and it whips around the beetle's arms and legs and wings and it actually works. And then he shoots gas on top of it just to knock him out. And then he leaves him there because it's like this is more important, this whole Atuma taking over the whole world thing. Meanwhile, we cut to Atuma, and they are fighting. I guess he didn't finish. He didn't beat the Avengers, but he was going to because they're all underwater now, and so they can't really fight. So it's Quicksilver and Captain America and Scarlet Witch versus Atuma. He's he's uh, choke holding Cap. Cap goes unconscious. Uh, Quicksilver grabs his shield and tries to do something, but Atuma grabs him. Scarlet Witch doesn't do anything because she's worried that her hex powers will hurt her teammates. Uh, but then at some point she realizes, oh, I could actually hex this glass that's keeping all this water in. So she does that and it cracks open. And there's a big flood and a whoosh and Atuma and Quicksilver get pulled out. Uh, Quicksilver sees like this hole in the wall and he's like, I wonder if this is an escape hatch. And he jumps in, but then Atuma's guards are like, nope, that's a, tor- a torpedo tube, dummy. And they flip the switch and he gets shot out uh, into the surface and he's kind of unconscious. But he wakes up to find Hawkeye, who borrowed a Fantastic Four flying submarine thing. And he happens to come across Quicksilver on his way to rescue them. So they get into the submarine thing and they go underwater. And there's this cool, like, uh, Phantom Menace scene where, like, they get chased by the Atuma's people. There's lots of shooty, shooty shoots. And then they come across a big, random, giant octopus, just like the Phantom Menace. And uh, they get through all that. Meanwhile, Cap and Scarlet Witch are officially captured this time, and they're, like, in front of Atuma on his throne. They're all bound up and stuff. And Cap's like, ah, I need to find one weakness. I know. He seems super arrogant. Hey, Atuma, I bet you don't even have a thing that can, like, destroy the world because you're lame. Don't worry, Scarlet Witch. We're, I know we're captured now, but he's lame, and this isn't really that big a deal. And Atuma's like, what? Of 
course I have one of those things. Let me show you. So he leads them to where it is, which is what they were looking for last issue. Cap's like, okay, cool, there it is. Uh, meanwhile, Hawkeye and Quicksilver crash into Atuma's big boat with the Fantastic Four ship, and they go to work fighting, fighty, fight, fight. Uh, Captain America suggests as they're being led down to, I don't know, either be destroyed or put in jail or something, he tells Scarlet Witch to pretend to be a woman and faint. And while she does that, he snaps out of his ropes. Uh, but he's still bound, but that's enough. That's all he needs. So he beats them all up, and then Scarlet Witch uses her power to unbind him. They join into the fight. So now all four of them are fighting. Uh, Atuma summons some sort of tank that has, like, this ultimate nullifier laser on it, but the Scarlet Witch, like, jumps on it and takes over, kind of. So then he's, like, running away from his own tank. They finally get back into the Fantastic Four vehicle and they fly away after destroying his ship and Atuma's like oh I'm just gonna press the button on this thing and take over the world like I planned and as he's doing that the Avengers are like Cap why are we leaving we have to take care of that thing he's like no I already did and Atuma presses the button and everything blows up and he's like yeah see I rigged it so it would explode while you guys were all fighting and then they go back to Avengers Mansion after Atuma has been destroyed and there's like a uh, uh, alarm signal sounding and the beetle is gone, and that's the end. It says next issue, the return of Giant Man. Spoilers. Spoilers. And they never found the wasp. No, they never did. So wow, I don't know. Some good, some not good. I don't know. It's a, it's, it has a it's a pretty decent ending. Um, I think it kind of is. I my my opinion of this issue depends a lot on next issue. I feel like on where this goes because like if nothing happens with the beetle. I'm really going to find that bonkers. So I hope something happens with the beetle. Well, it says in the next issue box, this is more of the wasp and the beetle. Yes. So I guess and we meet the collector. So I guess that's why I'm just like, cause the beetle thing was just so like nothing happened, but that's just because it was set up for next issue, I guess. Right. And I was, as I was reading it, I was like, why was the beetle even here? And not just like in universe. Why did the beetle come to Avengers headquarters? But like Mm -hmm. as a storytelling device, right? Why was the beetle here? What was the point? Right. And they don't tell us that. So again, I can hopefully next issue. They tell us why he was there. Right. They do describe him as an arch villain. And I feel like that's a very strong descriptor for the beetle. He still looks like the old beetle too. Not the beetle. I like, uh, yeah, that's not going away for a while, dude. (laughs) Yeah. He's still got the stretchy fingers and the bucket head and just, like, a jumpsuit on. I kind of like the, the fight, really though. really giant metal wings. It was cool. I like that Hawkeye took him out. That was neat. Yeah. Uh, um, page six. Mm-hmm. We're in the ocean. And on panel three, Atuma's like, by suddenly wheeling about and binding the female Avenger with her own cape, I've reduced her to total helplessness. Knowing how stupidly gallant the surface men are, this is sure to bring the other quickly, other, yeah, the other quickly within my reach. He says that like gallantry isn't a huge deal under the ocean as well. Cause I always think of the Prince of Abslantis as being gallant to a fault. Like, you mean Submariner? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is weird. Maybe he means like, he means these particular surface men and he's just criticizing anybody who's good. Because he's not good? I don't know. And how does he know too, very much about surface men? He, like, he's just now learning that surface men exist. Yeah, and he, he fought them all individually previously, so at no point did they show that they're gallant or that they would go out of their way to save Scarlet Witch or anything. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of weird, yeah. But it did work because it made Quicksilver act rash, and then he got beat up. But, uh, yeah. 
I want to see the conversation where Hawkeye goes to the Fantastic Four. That is very interesting. To our knowledge, the only time Hawkeye has even met them was at the wedding. And that wasn't much of a meet because everybody was at the wedding and it was chaos. So Right. Yeah, he just shows up in spandex and says, I need to borrow your arrow sub. Now, maybe he had some sort of Avengers government credentials to back that up. I don't know. Has Tony Stark managed to convince that one senator that uh, Captain America earns them their Avengers priority clearance? Well, based on that 2005 series, that's what happened. And Cap is still on the team, which is why they wanted him to stay on the team. So technically... he, He could flash that card. Technically, they could, but they have not mentioned any government anything since this team formed. Right. I do bet you, though, that the thing gave him a hard time for being an ex-criminal. Oh, come on, Reed. You're going to give an arrow sub to this guy? Even better, why doesn't the Fantastic Four join and help? Oh. I'm just going to borrow it. My friends are all in danger, and they're and they're trying to stop Atuma from taking over the world. Okay, have fun. We're going on a picnic. Reed should have been like, I know Atuma. We use Doctor Strange's powers to go fight him. Yeah, yeah. I could probably disable his machine because I'm brilliant. There is a reference to real people here. Oh, yeah. On the bottom. I kind of skipped over that because I forgot what this all says. Uh, it's, it's just newscasting about the bad storm. Oh, and yeah. This, uh, but he identifies himself as Chet Brinkley. And oh. he says, back to you, David. Or good night, David. Mm-hmm. David Brinkley and Chet Huntley. Oh. Of the Huntley and Brinkley. Uh, uh, so they just swapped it. Report. Right. That's cool. the first names. Did you look up to see if the likeness is right? Because it's just kind of uh, generic it's, looking it's, dude. It's reasonable close, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. It's just kind of like generic white dude, but you know. Yeah. The art, um, the art okay. was all cool. And this like, I mean, it's just a chase scene and stuff, but it's kind of neat. I don't know. Atuma's plan is to make the tides cover the entire earth. Actually, we can't skip the giant octopus. Well, I was just thinking this looks more underwatery than Submariner's own comic when they draw him underwatery. Like, you know, we keep making fun of Submariner. It just looks like they're surface dwellers with blue background. Mm-hmm. This actually looks like water works or something. Right. And they're like fighting in the water and they're like uh-huh. swimming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this whole, this whole comic, not just this part, but like even when they're fighting underwater and stuff like page five, for instance, that looks more watery than anything we've gotten in Submariner. <laughs> and they say that there's air inside this palace, but it's really humid air. That mm. at least justifies what everybody is standing and sitting. Yeah. Instead of floating. Yes. But they, in Submariner's book, they stand and sit uh-huh. in theoretically the ocean. Yeah, and they just have their capes just laying there, not floating or being weird. Or why have a cape underwater in the first place? Because that just seems horrible. Right. Uh, Okay, so the plan to cover the entire world in a rising tide. Mm -hmm. So for everybody playing along at home, high tides cannot cause water to cover the whole earth. Mm. The tide is caused by water bulging on the side of the earth facing the moon and the side of the Earth directly opposite. It pinches in on the other surfaces. So tidal movement of the of the waves is the water shifting around on the planet as it turns and, you know, continually adjusts which side is facing the moon and which side is facing away from the moon. Some places it's higher, some places it's lower. You can't have it be high everywhere. For that, you need more water. Or, like or melt the ice caps or something. A tidal expander. Does he have a tidal expander? That's what it's called. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, that explains it then. I mean, it's yes. a tidal expander. It's expanding uh, the tidal that doesn't otherwise cover the earth. Yeah. I, I missed that. I didn't realize he was actually 
expanding the tides <laughs> and making the water I mean, take up more volume. They don't go into what that means, but that's what it's called. Tidal expander. Okay, well, that, that that's it then. I, I apologize uh, for my mistakes. But while we're on his plan, still a weird plan. Because it's like, okay, let's say he covers the whole world and all us surface people drown and die. And so we're out of the picture. Why does he think he gets to rule everything? Why, why wouldn't Atlantis come along and go, thanks for making our territory bigger? Right. He's, he's not the biggest boy on the corner right now. He just yeah. thinks he is. Yeah. There's probably plenty of things underwater that would compete with his reign. He's only got like 10 people in the ship. So at the end of the day, Hawkeye and Quicksilver get back to their vehicle and Captain, Captain America Wanda are already bonds? there. Oh, sorry. What? Say what? I don't know. I think you cut out. What'd you say? I was saying that like um, at the end of the story, Hawkeye and Quicksilver get back to the vehicle and Cap and Wanda are already there. So did they even need a rescue? It seems like they were rescuing themselves. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think they even got rescued. They were just leaving. They just They're show all escaping up. at the same time. Yeah, basically. Cap just shows up and Scarlet Witch just shows up and joins in the fight. So they didn't actually ever find them. But they did have it. They did provide the escape vessel. So there's that, I guess. And um, there's a note here about. Oh, they they do actually mention the wasp because we, the reader, found out the wasp escaped last issue, but the Avengers didn't know. They were just responding to our call. Mm-hmm. So putting in a couple of lines here in the dialogue to address the fact that they looked for her and couldn't find her, I thought was good storytelling. I'm also very impressed that while they have hinted that the Scarlet Witch has like some interest in Cap, that they have not been obnoxious about it. It's like the one woman with an interest right. in man that's not being like everything about her. Right. That's not her one note. She has the occasional thought about like feeling bad for him and the way Hawkeye treats him or, you know, how it's hard for him to be the leader. But it's not everything. And she's not ever even talking about like really having the hots for him much. So we, we would talk about who is our worst female character. Who's our best female character, and why is it Scarlet Witch? <laughs> well, I gotta say, the Wasp was showing some promise as of Last Avengers issue. That was pretty awesome. Yes. So if they keep writing that more like that, then it might be the Wasp. But Scarlet Witch is cool because her agency isn't completely dependent on liking somebody, I guess. And she's bound to her brother, but it's through, like, you know, sibling family connections. It's not through, like, a romantic relationship because it's her brother. This isn't the Ultimates. No. Um, and they've had so, fights. Yeah. Her, her attachment to the men in the story have nothing to do with romance, which, not that romance is bad, but like we said, you have other, other story notes. On the other hand, we did just have Cap suggest that she faint to cause a distraction. Oh. Why can't he true. fall over? But he fell. He could fall over. Well, actually, okay, I'll argue that she had to faint so that while they weren't looking, he breaks his ropes because she can't do that. Oh. So there you go. Maybe it, was it wasn't a misogynist thing for once. And like I said, we will find more about the Beatle la- next time. And we're going to meet Jeff Goldblum's brother, the collector. <laughs> yes. Uh, Benicio Del Toro, right? Yeah. That's right. I couldn't remember the name of the actor who played him. Both cool. But Jeff Goldblum was cooler. Anyway. Jeff Goldblum is, I mean, he's Jeff Goldblum. He's just freaking funny, man. X-Men? X-Men, 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 X-Men. So these two, oh, we can't do the X-Men yet. Fine on that. Oh. It's the end of February. Okay, let's look at this. Okay. Millie the model number 46. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It's modeling with Millie number 46. Millie the model is 137. Whoa. Oh, very different books. I mean, the the, I, the tone and the way they treat the characters. 
Can you believe that though? She was that popular. She got two books. Wow. We might. We. we I believe. I believe it. We might be missing out here. Why are we not watching reading this? All right. So I've got the list of comics we've talked about okay. this month. If I should go through them. Go through them. Okay. So in the month of February, we have had the X Men nineteen, which involved the introduction of the mimic. Uh-huh. We had Daredevil 15, where the ox got uh, Freaky Friday brain swapped and then became a good guy inside the scientist's body. Mm-hmm. We have Thor 127, where Thor beats Sadring but nearly gives his life in the process, and Odin realizes that maybe he is a crap dad after all. We have uh, Tales to Astonish 79, where Namor is being controlled by the puppet master and the Hulk fights Hercules as Hercules is on his way to Hollywood. Sergeant Fury 29, where Fury and Strucker fight each other in the uh, blazing ruins of the destroying city. Mm-hmm. Strange Tales 144 with the day of the Druid in the uh, Sar- uh, Nick Fury story. And that weird story with uh pizza or tatsa or something mm-hmm. uh, that you know dr strange fought him anyways uh then we get to the stuff no sorry we have fantastic 450 which was the end of galactus and johnny goes to college mm-hmm. and we have tales of suspense 77 iron man versus ultimo and captain america's memories of the woman in his past mm-hmm. and then we get to this episode stuff with amazing spider-man 36 against the meteor Man, looter dude, and the Avengers 27 against Atuma. I am ready. Okay. What's your least? My least is going to be, not because it's particularly different than most of the issues, but like I said, when we, re- when we reviewed it, it seemed like it was never ending, and it was just driving me nuts. So I'm going to say Roy Thomas's Sergeant Fury, number 29, was just like mm. a miserable read for me. It just... It just felt monotonous. I don't know why. I am tempted to put Spider-Man. I almost picked Spider-Man too. But Spider-Man had some cool, like, college stuff. So I gave it a pass, I guess. It did. And it was better than the previous issue. And the previous issue I did not choose as my least. Mm-hmm. Um, the only other real contender for me for least enjoyment this time is Doctor Strange. Well, Daredevil wasn't great either, was it? I mean, you I know you like the Ox, but... This was... I liked the Daredevil story. I liked the, okay. the, the brain swap and... Ox trying to be a good person. Yeah, that was. I mean, cool, not a fantastic story, but it's not for me. It's not a contender for lowest wrong. Yeah. Okay. Um, and Doctor Strange, I'm just ready to be done. Me too. But it's never like so bad that I pick it as bad because it's like just kind of ho hum bad. I guess I don't know. I think I like the character Doctor Strange more than the stories that involve Doctor Strange so far because they haven't given as much character. Right. What's your favorite? My favorite. I'm just gonna go. Personal, I almost went Fantastic Four, but I've decided of the three, this was the weakest one in terms of the Galactus trilogy thing. Because mm-hmm. the first one's like the buildup of his arrival. The second one is his arrival and how powerful he is. And the third one is just like, point of gun, goodbye, college. So I'm going to say my man Captain America was my favorite yep. because I really enjoyed not only the fact that we got a Peggy story, but... I really appreciated kind of how they framed it with him watching TV and then like having this crazy cool flashback and the art was awesome. And uh, yeah, it just feels a little world building. So I, I, I liked it. Um, 
nothing is really jumping out at me as a really super favorite. Mm -hmm. But unless I'm just really misremembering, I think I really liked the Hulk story. The Hulk wasn't bad. I thought about picking that one. It's not a fantastic story, but I'm looking at this month and there are a lot of decent stories. The X-Men wasn't bad. No, I like the Mimic. I, I like the Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the Thor. I like the Avengers, too. I like the Avengers. I even I liked, liked Iron Sergeant Man. Fury. And I thought I There's would like Iron There's a lot like of Iron stuff Man. that's just, that, that was a pretty good comic. Mm-hmm. Nothing's really jumping out as being awesome. Yeah. But I think I'm going to pick Hulk. Because Hercules fighting Hulk is fun. Yeah, Hercules fighting Hulk was fun. And it did involve Waffle Ground. And, it, and it, it also involved getting over that very fast, so that was good. I also just liked the way the continuity was woven. Mm-hmm. The Hercules continuity was woven out of Thor into Hulk and back into Thor. Mm-hmm. Like, that was that was great, gracefully done. Yep. Okay. Okay, so, so that's that. That is the end of February. Now it's time for the X-Men. X-Men. Yep. The X-Men number 20. <sighs> Our title is simply, I, Lucifer. Doesn't that just make you sigh? Out loud, yeah, and why? It's crazy. I mean, I, I know I've said this maybe seventy-five times before, but when we did the first Lucifer story, uh-huh. I wasn't certain that we would get to this Lucifer story. Uh. Like we're almost like we're only two or three issues away from the X Men story that involves Count Nefaria and like his four henchmen from various Strange Tales stories, like the Scarecrow and the Plant Man and stuff. Um, and I thought we, I, I just, I didn't think the flat podcast would last that long. It felt really far away. And here it is in the hundreds. We're getting there, but we made it. How come Gene has like a bag of money for a hat? That's weird. A bag of money for a hat? On the cover. That is weird. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that's not really what it's supposed to be, but that's an unfortunate tangent. She has pulled the bag of money over her head and is now singing the matchmaker song. <laughs> it's like a chef's hat. Okay, so we open with two X-Men robbing a bank. A bank robbery itself is a somewhat unusual event, but when the pernicious perpetrators are attired in the garb of X-Men, the resulting tableau might be considered positively unique. Another mighty Marvel bullpen surprise. Expertly edited by Stan Lee, skillfully scripted by Roy Thomas. There's your bullpen surprise right there. Perfectly penciled by Jay Gavin and ideally inked by Dick Ayers and laxly lettered by Artie Simic. So the X-Men who are robbing this bank are, spoilers, not really X-Men. One dude is very large, which is his defining characteristic, which is why I'm drawing attention to it. He is actually the blob in an X-Men costume. Um, another dude is just kind of there being cool and not being able to hit by bullets. He's Eunice, the untouchable. Mm. So these are two um, bad guys who have somehow, some way, somewhere gotten X-Men costumes and they're robbing a bank in them to, Hey, give the X-Men a bad rap. So they get away and the police are like, Oh no, those X-Men robbed a bank. So back at the X-Men headquarters, uh, the School for Gifted Youngsters, Cyclops packs a suitcase and leaves because um, he has uh, decided he can't possibly be near Jean anymore without telling her how he feels. But he has no right to tell her how he feels while his eyes are a threat. So he's going to go find a doctor who can help him fix his eyes. So he's gone. Bye, Cyclops. Um, on the news, they're talking about how the X-Men robbed a bank. And I was like, oh my gosh, we've been here the whole time. And Xavier calls him and, hey, 
those were phony X-Men. Here, I'm going to turn on my um, radar image beam, which can detect any other mutants in the area and show us their forms. And so we get, you know, two people in X-Men costumes. And Hank is like, that must be Eunice, because of the really distinguishing characteristics of Eunice, the untouchable. <laughs> um, I still have that ray gun I want to use on him. The other one must be the blob, because, you know, he's big. Um, they're like, wait a second, where's Scott? Iceman goes, I'll go get him. He comes back, oh no, he left us a note. He's gone. And Xavier's like, oh no, he's gone. Okay, I want to use my memory and think really hard about all the people we fought in previous issues. And maybe if I just really think hard about it, I can figure out who is instructing and bossing around Eunice and the Blob. And so he thinks Vanisher, Juggernaut, Magneto, um, um, Sentinels, Mastermind, Submariner. He's like, oh no, I can't think of who it is. They must have a mental screen up to elude me. So, okay, so we change scene to the person behind everything, and it is Lucifer. No. The um, dude dressed in purple and red who's not Magneto. Uh With a really weird um, alien beard who uh, did stuff to Xavier a long time ago. Anyways, we get a uh, memory of how he ran into um, the Blob and Eunice. They were in like a wrestling match together because Eunice was doing one of those, no one can beat me because I'm untouchable and there's $100 if you can beat me in the ring. And the Blob's like, I'll beat you. And neither one of them can beat the other. So they go back to uh, Blob's place and try to find out what all they have in common. Um, we're going to give them their privacy, though. <laughs> Then, uh, let's see, Cyclops is just kind of out and about, and he sees, again, the Blob and Eunice in X-Men costumes robbing a bank. So he switches to his X-Men cops and is like, hey, y'all need to stop that. They're like, hey, buddy, thanks for showing up. You're a little bit late, but we can really use your help. And so everything that Cyclops does to stop them, they re- right to make it look like he's trying to help them so the crowd around is like oh no he's a bad one too so he runs off i'm not a bad one i'm a nice person um eunice and the blob put the money in the bag um the other x-men arrive there's a bit of a scuffle uh the bad guys hop on a subway train which they ride toward lucifer lucifer is in his um mountainy retreat and he has this big like metal silo that comes out of the ground. It has a blast of energy that it shoots into the atmosphere and it's going to ride Xavier's mental waves back to their source. That will complete the first part of Lucifer's plan. So whenever this big energy beam rides Xavier's mental waves back to the source, they blast him and put him in a coma. Now, he can still use his mind powers and talk to people, but he's like laying there staring off into space. So he talks to Jean and um, tells her that Lucifer has returned. She's like, oh no, humanity hangs the balance. Oh no. Um, and he tells her, we can't waste any time. So let me tell you a story. And he tells her the story <laughs> uh-huh. about how he was out traveling around back whenever he was still able to walk. He was traveling to... Uh, Tibet. He's in Tibet and he's meeting people and making friends and having a good time. Um, and he gets attacked and he finds the source of the attack is, uh, Lucifer. 
Lucifer's talking to like his boss with a giant Lucifer brain on us on a Skype call. And whenever Xavier confronts Lucifer says, I'm going to stop you. Lucifer makes a brick fall from the building from the top of the ceiling, but not like one hand brick, like a brick that's like the size of you. And it falls right on Xavier's back, leaving him paralyzed. And she's like, so that's how it happened. And Xavier's like, yep, that's another reason I put the X-Men together. I needed to recruit some teenagers from their high school experiences to help me form an army to fight aliens mm. like Lucifer. Mm-hmm. Um, so the X-Men talk to Gene. They find out what's going on. They're like, okay, let's all go out to Lucifer. And that's the end of the story. Man, this was kind of like two stories. Don't you feel like? Yeah. Which like is, there was the whole Eunice blob thing. It's appropriate that the cover is split in two. Yeah, <laughs> because I got to say, I like the top part way better than the bottom part. I really kind of enjoyed the whole blob Eunice impersonation thing. That was fun. It felt kind of old school, right? Like it felt yeah. like it felt like early issues of the X-Men. It was it was pretty great. Well, and it's the X-Men fighting evil mutants. So, hey, let's do that once in a while. That's cool. Mm-hmm. All that was great. And then it turns out Lucifer's behind it. And that's a little less great. But OK, let's keep going. And then it just turns into the Lucifer show. And I was just like, oh. I don't know. I swear, like, the first time we read about Lucifer, they talked about his backbreaking, but I don't remember this story. So I guess they did it, and I just knew that it was going to be about his backbreaking someday. I don't and, know. And I kind of emphasized that when we were talking about that issue. And I was a little bit surprised because my memory tricked me, and it wasn't actually in the issue. I think they do say that mm-hmm. Lucifer is the reason he can't walk. Okay. But they don't actually go into how and why that happened. Right. So now they did. So yippee. And this is... Okay. Xavier's loss of his legs would easily be considered a huge turning point, pivotal moment in a person's life. So like a major story point for this character's backstory. Yep. But it's Lucifer. Uh So it's like the most useless major turning point of a character's backstory. According to you, that has never been retconned. So it's still Lucifer, even to this day. Yeah. Even though Xavier gets legs and loses them again a few times over the course of history. But this original loss, as far as I know, has always been Lucifer. Even though the real reason he lost the ability to walk, we all know artistically is because that one time he and his stepbrother Juggernaut were driving around crazy and he fell out of the car. That would have been a way better reason for him to not have legs. Yes. That worked. At least something, it it would be a more personal story. right? Right. Exactly. And it'd be the Juggernaut, which we like. As opposed to Lucifer, which nobody cares about. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the beginning of the Roy Thomas run on the X-Men, mm-hmm. which, if I'm not mistaken, goes all the way to the end of the series. Well, luckily, I didn't feel this way about or with the Doctor Strange that I felt about Sergeant Fury. So maybe that was just a fluke with the Fury. I don't know. I didn't feel this was too wordy. Oh, there are a lot of words, but... But not too much so. No, it didn't bother me, really. Now, we have speculated... With no confirmation that I can remember whether the public knows or thinks that X-Men are mutants or just cool superheroes. Mm -hmm. This first page is definitely Blob and Eunice talking about how they're X-Men and mutants. So I'm wondering if we could headcanon that to be like this is when they're outed and hated for the rest of eternity. Right. Um, Because they're like, you homo sapiens suck compared to us. And the crowd is like, oh, man, these mutants are horrible. So it's no longer like... The X-Men are superheroes. And I wonder if we could just say that Blob and Eunice outed them and now their reputations are ruined forever. And they're they're you know, they're they're linking the whole mutant name to crime and mayhem because that's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. 
So it's, yeah, it's not great. Now we have talked also before about how the X-Men are very public at this point. They may be teenagers in a school, but Mm -hmm. their existence as X-Men is very well known. Mm -hmm. So much so that everyone else is like, these are two new X-Men. I never saw the pictures in the paper. So they're well unknown. They're well known enough that new ones can be recognized as being new and unusual. Now, just to ruin my head, Cannon, there's an old lady here saying, Dear me, I always said those ridiculous costume mutants were up to no good. So she apparently knew that they were costume mutants the whole time. Well, I like the idea that here it's like, you know, really making it known. Like maybe it's been a little bit known before, but here they're really saying, yeah. We are mutants and we're beating you up. And that guy's probably like, Okay, Alice, you've never said that before. You're just making that up. <laughs> it's actually not a bad strategy from these two. I don't know if Lucifer came up with it, but this idea of, of committing crimes as X-Men is is pretty clever. It's cool. And I like that. I mean, I don't know if Eunice is the greatest character, but I kind of like seeing him again, and I like seeing Blob again, and I believe they were back-to-back stories back in the day. So mm-hmm. it's kind of neat that they, they're teaming up. I like the Blob. I want to see more Blob. I do, too. I do, too. Cyclops leaves school. Now, as far as melodramatic teen angst goes. Uh-huh. This is not the most unreasonable thought process. He yeah. wants to be around Gene, can't be around Gene because of his eyes. He thinks he might be able to find a doctor who can fix his eyes, so he's going to go and try to get that done. Then he can finally go after the woman he loves. Yes, but he is making it a little more melodramatic than it needs to be by doing it in secret. Definitely. Because all he has to do is say, hey, guys, I found this doctor that may or may not be able to help me control my powers and or fix my eyes, so I'll be back in a couple weeks. And they'd all say, okay, cool. Well, the crazy part is he hasn't actually found a doctor yet. He's going to go hunting. In fact, he should probably go talk to Karen Page because I hear she knows a doctor who can fix eyes. (laughs) Yeah, so that's even more melodramatic. He doesn't even have a plan. He's just storming off kind of. But The whole radar image beam is going to be super handy for them when they never use it again. That is weird. I was also wondering about – invasion of privacy like it's not just picking up evil mutants it picks up any mutants right Mm -hmm. so like what if you're do you want professor x checking you out when you're not doing anything wrong that's not cool right in fact this raises all sorts of implications because we know that xavier has interests that too yeah like he can find a mutant that's like 12 and go talk to the parents about recruiting them for his creepy school and stuff um you know, originally, Xavier was able to find the mutants on his own. He used his own mind to do that for a long mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. They only introduced Cerebro actually in the last Lucifer story because he was going to be leaving to go after Lucifer and he wanted Scott to be able to find mutants. So here's Cerebro can find mutants for you since I'm going to be gone. Now that he's back, it's like Xavier can't find mutants on his own anymore. He needs mm-hmm. other stuff to help him, but he can trying to figure out who's leading them just by thinking about their rogues gallery. And he can't remember the, he can't, why is he not thinking about Lucifer? I mean, it's the one guy, the one guy he should ever be thinking about, right? I mean, he's not a mutant, but it is a reason he formed the X-Men apparently to fight aliens. Uh, yeah, it's really weird to fight. It's really weird. No, to, to make a school of teenagers as your recruited army to fight aliens. This is the second issue in a row where the bad guy is not a mutant too. And I've got to say, I don't love that. So, Stop doing that, maybe. I also feel like Roy Thomas was doing like a read-through because The Blob, his second story was issue seven. Eunice was issue eight. Mm -hmm. Lucifer was issue nine. Oh, boy. And now they're all in this together. Yep. So that's as far as you got. Yeah. I did think they were all pretty close together. I didn't realize they were literally back-to-back. That's funny. 
uh, yeah, I got to say, so like I'm just flipping through. I really like all of it until they get on the train and escape. And then it just kind of like I'm not even sure I get what the silo thing is exactly. It freezes all telepaths. Why? Or just Xavier's or just brain. Or just all telepaths, so yeah. Just for Xavier because Xavier's a threat to him and he knows that. Right. Okay. I guess that works. It's worth pointing out that they, um, in addition to the mutant hate, the way they're writing it, they're definitely using that as a metaphor. Mm-hmm. Um, we have people literally quoting post-9-11 America in the scene with Cyclops and the other mutants. It's It's pretty explicit at this point. Yeah. I like that Cyclops like confronted them though, because he initially wasn't going to. He was going to stay out of it, right? Then it's like, nah, I got to be a X Men. And and then turning about on him and like pretending he's their friend—that was clever. Yeah, I liked all this. I wish it would have just been this, and Luther, Luther, Lucifer could have just stayed out of it. This would have been more fun. Just keep doing this. Well, he had to have his plot device powers. Yeah, I don't think he was needed to bring these two together because they already found each other through wrestling. I don't think uh, we could have – I think they could have escaped halfway through on this thing and then we could have had a round two with them where they get defeated finally. I didn't like the gun solution where it's just like I knew I, – I had a feeling the gun wouldn't work on me anymore and Lucifer's like, yes. Oh, I forgot to mention that. Yeah. Because I created Hank gets, it. Hank takes the gun that's supposed to decrease Eunice's powers and Eunice is like, I don't think that's going to work this time and it doesn't work. And it's like, yeah, I told you it's not going to work this time. Yeah, and then Lucifer's like – not only did they not suspect that I fixed him from that gunpowder, but they also don't suspect that I gave him the hunch that it wouldn't work. So it's like, wow, that's just a major plot device. <laughs> Lucifer. So he his first phase was to disable Xavier, and he was trying to find Xavier, but he didn't succeed. Xavier found him, and he was able to like backtrack the energy waves. But I will tell you, page 12, this is the weirdest subject ever for a full-page panel. Yeah. Actually, I'm wondering now what Lucifer bringing these two together does to help him. Henchmen? Well, Lucifer brings... Oh, to draw out the X-Men so we can find Xavier? Was that why he did that? I'm just guessing. Well, how did that help him find Xavier? Cause they, oh, because he watched them go home? I don't know. Um, at the end of the fight... No, they're not even home yet when he attacks Xavier. So how did this help them? I don't know. So she had to stay behind another professor. We'll fill you in on the way. He says, the one I seek most still closes himself in secrecy. Um, the mental wave receiver indicates that Professor Xavier has already penetrated my mental screen. He cannot suspect that I desired him to find me. That in locating me, he has now sealed his own doom. So he didn't really need the blob or Eunice at all that I can think of. I don't know. I guess he's maybe trying to cover both bases. Maybe. Like he was trying to draw Xavier out, but he also had this little thingy that would detect Xavier's trying to find him. Also, in the flashback, does Xavier even use his mental powers or is he just leading the charge and like then the cinder block gets dropped on him and he leaves? Like he's just a lame human as far as Lucifer knows, isn't he? Um, I don't know. He uses his mental powers to find – to reach out and find the freaking frayed wire because somehow wire has brain power or brain activity. And so that was like a thing that he was able to do to help them. When he's leading these this revolution through the traps. But he doesn't attack Lucifer mentally ever. This, I don't he know. He says that the intruder is a formidable opponent. He's foredoomed to failure. His uh, He tells his boss there's an uprising. He's going to crush it. But the boss says, no, don't take any risks. I'm prevented to our cause. Um, 
He tells Lucifer to relocate. Uh-huh. Lucifer says, I'll let them overrun the castle while I sneak out. But Xavier finds him. And he says, you'll never know my true purpose on this planet. Scrunches him. And now you're squished. And then I'll leave you to live because that's mean of me. Yeah. 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 Xavier was just being a cool dude, reading, you know, helping people get control of their town again. Yeah. That's like there's no reason no. for Lucifer to think that Xavier could stop him from. Which decreases the meaning of the story even more. <laughs> <laughs> I really just dislike the Lucifer stuff. I can't stress this enough, I guess. And I'm sad that the Blob and Eunice just got away. And I don't know that we'll get a follow up on that. Maybe we will. And of course, Xavier once again does not know what being pressed for time means. He no. thinks that being low on time means it's time to tell stories. Yes. He seems to do that a lot, doesn't he? And Bobby is once again using a magic marker to mark their brand new plane that they got. Where yeah, last issue it was a helicopter. They just draw an X on it. Just draw an X. Just draw an X. That's, that's as good as we need. Put a bird on it. Put an X on it. But they have a plane, so that's closer to a blackbird. And they mentioned the coolness of the plane. They mm-hmm. talk about how the plane is special. I'm trying to find what they said. They said something. A sleek private jet. It's been especially fitted for short takeoffs and landings. And he purchased it several weeks ago, but their encounter with Sentinels like Magneto have prevented them from using it. Okay. All right. So they have a cool new plane. They have a cool new plane. It's blue and it doesn't look like a Blackbird, but it's a plane. Better than a helicopter. And Xavier tells them, we must act. There's not a moment to lose. Which is when he sits them all down and tells them a story again. Yes. Just like the Juggernaut. Scott snaps at Oh yeah. Jean yes. For no reason. Well, I mean she did like she's like, what does he say? Where does he say that? She says anything's better than wearing this gadget under another minute. Oh yeah. She's taking off her like mental probe device and he's like, like Quiet, Gene. Shut up, lady. Lucifer almost beat us before. If he's stronger now And then her thought bubble is I I knew he didn't like me, so ugh, it just makes you roll your eyes kinda. Of. Yeah. Of course he likes you. That's why he's snapping at you, because it's unrequited love and it's making him bitter and angry. Come on, people. He doesn't know how to deal with his hormones. All right. Should we cover the coolest book tonight? Spoilers? The coolest book tonight. Seriously. Daredevil number 16, Enter Spider-Man. But only with consent. (laughs) Also introducing the mystery of the masked marauder, which does not matter at all. Another minor masterpiece in the mildly magnificent Marvel manner. Now, I don't know if this is true, John, but I feel like when I have to read the captions or the credits, they always use really big words that I don't like. But sagacious script by Stan Lee, phantasmagoric penciling by Johnny Ramita, iconographic, iconographic, iconographic inking by Frankie Ray. What does that say? Nay Jacoya. As in, he was born Jacoya. Okay. And so lacrim- this is Frank Jacoya. Lacrimose lettering by Artie Semek. Enough said. And if I didn't get any of those words right, I don't care because I don't even know what they mean anyway. Lacrimose means it makes you want to cry. Okay. But what about the first one? Sacra- Sagacious. Sagacious. Superwise. Yeah. Okay. So it starts out with the trio of Nelson and Murdoch watching TV. They're watching Spider-Man take on a masked marauder gang. And the two are describing to Matt what's going on. And at some point, Foggy even says something like, Spider-Man's way cooler than Daredevil, huh? And then Karen's like, how can you say that? Daredevil has rescued us many times. She, he's rescued me literally many times. I'd be dead if it wasn't for him. Okay, okay, you're right. I'm sorry. I just get really jealous when, you know, I think of you being impressed by other dudes. And then 
Matt's like, oh, man, he really does like her. If that if that doesn't prove it, what will? Anyway, we cut to the masked marauder, who's a guy in purple and green, because that's Marvel villain colors, and he has a mask, so we don't know who he is. And he's talking to a group of henchmen who are all dressed like Daredevil. And their plan is, you all go out and fight Spider-Man, and while you're doing that, and the world is busy, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And one of the henchmen's like, I'm not going to fight Spider-Man. What are you, crazy? He's like, listen, I respect your opinion, but zat. And his mask apparently shoots bolts, and it makes the guy blind or something uh, temporarily. And so they take him away, James Bond style. Anyway, that didn't matter. So Spider-Man's swinging around, and out of nowhere, a billy club almost hits him, but he dodges. He turns around. Oh, my God, that was Daredevil. But when he rounds the corner, Daredevil's gone. And just as he's wondering what happened, uh, a cable comes out, grabs his leg. He snaps it off. He's like, oh, my God, that was Daredevil, too. What the heck? How is this guy so fast? And why does he keep attacking me? This is crazy. Meanwhile, Karen's leaving the office. I guess Foggy probably already went home. She's like, boy, I don't have a date or anything, so I guess I'll just go read a book. I'm leaving now if anybody's interested. And Matt's like, okay, see ya. (laughs) But then he thinks, ah, oh, I should have asked her. I, I would ask her out, but uh, I have to do this Daredevil stuff because he's listening on the radio and hearing that Daredevil is like attacking Spider-Man. So he's like, I got to go find out who this Daredevil is because it's not me. So he goes swinging around and suddenly there's a spider spotlight. And he's like, uh-oh, Spider-Man's there. And Spider-Man's like, how come you've been attacking me this whole time? He's like, no, I swear I'm not. He's like, well, I don't believe you. And they start fighting and Daredevil fights back. Spider-Man's stronger and faster, but Daredevil like, Still holds his own, kind of, sort of. Um, While this is all happening, the Marauder and his men take a truck and they go to... I don't remember where. They go to somewhere that develops plans, basically. Oh, World Motor Center or something like that. And the truck has this, like, uh, uh, air pressure doodad that comes out of the top and seals onto a, you know, window seven stories up. And it's kind of like one of those mail tube things where you put a guy, instead of a mail cylinder you put a guy in it and it whooshes them right on into the building and they crack the safe and they steal uh the xb390 engine plans that are top secret and while they're doing that marauder in his truck in the truck gets confronted by cops but he zats them with his eyes so basically they get away with the stealing thing and then inside the truck is this cool james bond car that comes jumping out the back and they get away because everybody's eyes are on daredevil and spider-man fighting and they're still fighting rooftops um, at some point, Daredevil like tricks Spider-Man into thinking he's throwing his his uh, you know swingy rope baton thingy at him, but really he's wrapping it around a pole. And then he jumps off the ledge, and before Spider-Man can do anything, he's wrapped himself around Spider-Man. So basically, he's wrapped Spider-Man around onto a pole, and he's like, "Listen, I'm not who you think I am. I'm gonna go." And he's like, I better get out of here because this that stuff isn't going to hold Spidey very long. And i got to figure out who this real Daredevil is. I'll never be able to prove that it's not me until I can find the fake. Meanwhile, Spider-Man easily does snap out of the, the binding and tries to go after Daredevil. Can't find him. Uh, they go their separate ways. Peter Parker returns to being Peter Parker. At some point, he sees a headline that says, Mass Marauder Gang Strikes Again. Vital XB390 engine stolen as Daredevil and Spider-Man battle on the city rooftops. So so Peter thinks, gee, I wonder if Daredevil was distracting me. And he's in league with the Mass Marauder. And Matt Murdock thinks, gee, I wonder if Spider-Man was uh, distracting me. And he's in league with the Mass Marauder. Uh, Matt goes back to the office. 
I can't remember why, but Foggy is upset. Oh, he's upset about Daredevil some more. And Matt's like, hey, Daredevil's a good guy, I swear. And Foggy's like, how would you know? And Matt's like, oh, yeah, I wouldn't. I just have a uh, hunch, I guess. Mass Marauder has the plans. He's rubbing his hands together. He's going to do something with them. We don't really know what. Spider-Man decides to go back out and look for Daredevil. As he's swinging around, his spider sense goes off. He's like, boy, this feels like the same tinglies, the same Peter tingles I had yesterday when I was finding Daredevil. And they're getting stronger as I swing this direction. So I'm just going to keep swinging this direction. Oh, my gosh. Now they're really strong right here by this building. Let's look inside the window. Oh, my gosh. Okay. There's a woman. That's probably not him. There's a blind guy, definitely not him. There's a portly gentleman, that could be him. So he jumps into the window, crashes through, scares all three of them. And as Karen screams, uh, Spider-Man picks up Foggy by the, by the shirt and says, I know you're Daredevil and you're going to tell me the truth. And Matt's like, oh, I can't reveal who I am. So sorry, Foggy. And it's to be continued. Dun, dun, dun. So what year are we at? We're 19, 1966. 1966. When did we start? 63? One. 61. So five years in, and they did a they did a to be continued that really made me salivate for the first time, probably. This wow. is it. This is it. I've liked All some right. of, I've liked some of the other to be continues, or I like the novelty of having be continues once we start getting them, but like this one has made me really want to cheat. And find out what happens next. <laughs> and jump gotcha. to the next jump to daredevil 17 i haven't cheated but i want to because that was a cool ending. well good it's it's a great story and it's mm-hmm. it's a historically important story mm-hmm. um because of the art because of the art mm-hmm. john ramita is here and he's going to be the spider-man artist mm-hmm. but spider-man's over here now there are two stories about ramita using spider-man this story that appear to me to be conflicting but okay. there might be two aspects of a third truth i just don't know what it is mm-hmm. One story is that John Romita was brought, um, he brought Spider-Man into this story as a test run for taking over Spider-Man. Okay. The comic. Okay. But we also are given to understand that Ditko quit Spider-Man unexpectedly out of nowhere. Oh. So maybe Stan Lee was just kind of reading the writing on the wall and was trying to get someone in his back pocket for the replacement. Maybe. And who knows, maybe putting another artist on a Spider-Man cover helped trigger Ditko's departure because it was already impending and that was maybe just the last straw. I don't know. Now there is a, uh, there was a video series, which I believe I've mentioned before on the show called comic book greats. And it, Mm -hmm. and it was Stan interviewing artists and most of the artists were Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld. So you could tell when these videos came out, uh, Todd McFarlane, but he had one with the Ramitas, both John and junior. Mm -hmm. And in the beginning they talk about, the Daredevil and the Spider-Man. And that story was they were all very much convinced that Steve Ditko was going to come back, that no way anybody would leave Spider-Man forever. You know, like he's just mad right now, but he'll be back in five issues. So John was under the impression it's temporary. And if you notice, I mean, maybe that's not applying here, but it is because his, his Spider-Man in this is very Ditko. In this issue, yes. When he gets to be the Spider-Man right artist, it's less so. Right. But he was saying in that video that he was purposely trying to keep Ditko's style because he didn't want to change it with the idea that Ditko was going to come back. So let's keep it seamless, right? So maybe whenever Romita says that in more general tones, uh-huh. he's remembering this particular story he and might feeling be. like it was more general. He might be. And then the other thing is, is he said his favorite character to draw was Daredevil. So, and he just got on Spider-Man because 
you know, Ditko left. So that's kind of interesting. Looking at this cover, you know, Spider-Man and Daredevil look fantastic. They stand out amazingly. Mm -hmm. And the city is just kind of covered in smog. Mm -hmm. But I feel like there's a lot of really great line work that is lost in all that gray. But look at the geometry of that city. Yeah. Yeah, it's unfortunate, like, I don't know if this is one of those cases of those, like, re- it almost looks like one of those real photos that they do for backgrounds. It, I don't think it mm-hmm. is, but. It may be a trace photo. It's, a, it's, a for, it's unfortunate that they just went all gray because it kind of makes it blah, even though it's kind of a classic cover anyway. Mm-hmm. It would have been cooler if there was, I don't know, a different color to it. Um, I didn't think that the Spidey in the news broadcast was that impressive. Maybe that was the first time he drew Spidey ever, and so it's, it's not this greatest it gets better as the story goes on. Foggy's right. So many of the web slinger's exploits have been photographed. You'd almost think he sets up an automatic camera and takes the pics himself. Ah, come on, Matt. You've been reading too many fantasy stories lately. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Nailed him. I mean, the Marauder is no big deal. I don't really care about him that much, but the rest of it is so cool that who cares, right? Yeah, and the Mystery of the Mass Marauder is kind of like a background thing for a while in Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Um, it conveniently or coincidentally or ironically or something uh the reveal of the mass marauder will come in another spider-man guest story down the road hmm. i like the group of thugs that are all dressed like daredevil but kind of look different that's cool yeah some of them are kind of dumpy some of them look like toad faces uh-huh. now we're not to this level of storytelling yet obviously but i kind of feel like it would have been cool if because when we're talking about spider-man fighting the mass marauder it sounds like a protracted deal like it had been going on for a while mm-hmm and I feel like if we had gotten some of that in Amazing Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. Like, have him run to the Mass Marauder, have that be the intro one, a month or two before this, mm-hmm. and then bring that storyline over here mm-hmm. and let it become the Daredevil thing, that would have been cool. Or since they're not doing anything in Spider-Man we like right now, they could have done part one in Spider-Man and moved it to part two uh, here. our first, like... And had them both where cross you can't over. read both parts of a story in one comic. Right. That would have been interesting. Because that kind of crossover is 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 a ways away. Right. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you, didn't, you don't even have to have Spider or Daredevil in part one, but just have it to be continued in Daredevil number, uh, you know, 16. That would have been interesting. Mm-hmm. But no, we got Meteor Looter and Molten's Regrets. <laughs> Wait till we get Joe. Uh, All right. Um, Spider-Man mentions Daredevil's new suit. Yes, he does. He said he likes the yellow one better because it matches his cowardly streak or his yellow streak. Right, because he's got the quips. Um, The fight was cool. If I was a Spider-Man fan, I might be butthurt that Daredevil seemingly won. But I do think it's cool that they gave it an out and said that Spider-Man was purposely holding back for fear of hurting him. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, woo. That makes more sense. And I got to say, I think they really nailed the maturity levels too. Like I feel like – I mean they're both wrong for their fighting – but I feel like Daredevil's being a little more mature, and that kind of that kind of jives with the whole fact that Peter's like you know just fresh out of high school, and Matt has finished college and is a professional lawyer, and particularly page fifteen and sixteen where like Spidey's kind of just like I'll get you and your little dog too, and Daredevil's like okay I gotta take care of business. Yeah, Spider Man is a bit more hot headed and. Mm-hmm. You know, when he does guest appearances, that tends to come out a bit more because mm-hmm. we see less of his own sympathies. I mean, we this is a pretty fleshed out appearance of Spider Man. Yeah, we 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 see him pretty much in all of his personal personality. 
And to be fair to Spider-Man, he knows less what's going on because he does think legitimately this is like the fifth Daredevil to attack him today. And Daredevil knows that yeah, it's Daredevil not Daredevil. like attacking and running and attacking and running, right. attacking and running. He's like, what, the, what, the, what, the, yeah. what are you doing? And Daredevil's in on the idea that, you know, he's the real one. So it makes it easier to be more mature, maybe. I kind of love the one shot where the police officer is like, yeah, I got no idea what they're fighting about. They're up on the roof over there slugging it out. <laughs> yeah. It's just, you know, it's like, you know, it's it's the common man's view of the superheroes where we have superhero fighting superhero. Uh-huh. I mean, that's happened a few times now, but like where the public is like watching it going, what's going on? I wonder, now I'm suspect suspect about the whole John Romita trying to draw Spider-Man like Ditko. I wonder if he's just trying to draw, I wonder if he's just drawing it like this because that is legit what Spider-Man's costume has been this entire time. But because if you look at his Peter Parker, that sure isn't Ditko. That's very Romita. It is very Romita. It's got Romita's faces so, and everything. So he's not trying to ape, ape him there. So I don't know. I mean, I don't even know. Like, does people, like, I don't know how to describe this, but Ditko Spider-Man versus Romita Spider-Man, it's just like webbier, you know, I guess. Less mm-hmm. squintier eyes. I don't know how else to say it. Less- and some of this, if it's uh, uh, anatomy and physiology too, just the way Spider-Man carries himself. Yeah. Romita's Spider-Man was more muscular, maybe. Mm-hmm. Less stringy. Um, Mass Marauder wants to steal a car engine. He does. You know, those, those, those car engines, they're super cool. Well, it's a top secret car engine. So, and he's going to sell it. Even nations who would pay any amount for the secret of the XB390. Any amount, I guess. Nations. But I'm not going to sell it. Listen closely. And then we don't know what his, what he's really going to do with it. I mean, Speed Racer's not even out yet. No. I just. I don't get it. This is the first time I think like Spider-Man's Spider-Sense is becoming more like his Spider-Sense. Like this is him. Oh, where he's just like wandering around and like suddenly starts feeling something. Well, his Spider-Sense is specifically got a DD tingle going on. Like that's pretty high. That's pretty like fine tuned for Mm -hmm. what he's been doing with it. So that was kind of cool. And he figures out that Foggy is Daredevil because (laughs) he looks in the office and there's a woman and a blind man. So it must be the third guy. I mean, it's not horrible logic, and he does notice he looks a little heavier than he thought, but maybe Spandex loses 10 pounds. But yeah, um, this is a really, really great it crossover is. between the two, bringing Spider-Man and Daredevil. It's a fun story. It's a fun use of both characters. Uh-huh. There's that one panel where they're fighting, and Spider-Man's all wrapped up against the pole. That's like a super iconic mm-hmm. uh, you know, Silver Age image. Yeah. A lot of good stuff here. Very much. Doesn't doesn't Daredevil fight Captain America in a couple issues too? Like, is, are they just going to throw people at Daredevil now? I feel like that's in the the fifties. Oh, is that really that far away? Wow. Okay. I may be wrong, but I feel like oh, it's it could like be fifty three or something. I don't know. Could be. I wonder what Spidey will do if Foggy doesn't raise a fist to defend himself. Like, would he actually punch Foggy? We'll find out. I hope not. I hope not too. That's what I always wonder sometimes about these fights. Like, if Daredevil had just stood there and not done anything. Would Spider-Man keep fighting him? That's a good question. Like he hits him once, and if Daredevil had just fallen down and then just gets back up, would Spidey stop? But he doesn't. He does backflips and starts punching him and stuff. So that's what escalates it, people. If Spider-Man's a good guy, you should cash in on that. That's like that. Stop trying to. F- what was that? New 52, right? Yeah. Where they, they finally. was New 52? They finally, Green Lantern and Batman finally defeat Superman by Batman just standing there saying, yeah, he's not going to kill me. And then he just stands there. <laughs> and Superman's like, and then Superman stops because he can't punch him if he's just going to stand there, right? Yeah, yeah, that was the Justice League issue. You're right. Yeah, yeah, that's genius. Anyway, all right. 
Well, that brings us to the end yeah. of an episode. Let's end our Make Ours Marvel on a DC reference. <laughs> That's how we roll. That's how we roll. What's so up for next? What's happening? Yeah, next. So next month, or next week, rather, we have Thor 128, The Power of Pluto with Thor and Hercules. Then we have Tales to Astonish uh, number 80, with uh, Submariner versus that behemoth creature. And then the Hulk is fighting uh, Tyrannus. Then we have Sergeant Fury 30, where Sergeant Fury is surrendering in Italy. Uh-oh. And finally, Strange Tales 145, Lo the Eggs Shall Hatch. <laughs> <laughs> they really tried to make that sound dangerous, didn't they? Right. We get more uh, Fury versus the Druid and the Satan eggs. And then we get not Doctor Strange versus Dormammu. We get Doctor Strange versus Mr. Rasputin. All right. Because we need that. We need that. So where can they find us? You can find us at makeoursmarvel.com, which has a link to... All the feeds for the popular podcasty apps, or just type Make Ours Marvel in your favorite app. Hopefully it works. We also have links to our social media on Facebook and Twitter, where we post you know information about new shows if you want to follow along there. And you can write us through the uh, website's contact form, or you can just write directly to podcast at makeoursmarvel.com. You can follow me and Mike on Twitter. Mike is at Kaiser the Great, because Mike considers himself a, you know, emperor uh-huh. type person that is what kaiser you can means find me on yep follow me on twitter at john reads comics because i fancy myself you know a guy who reads comics you definitely um, do that <laughs> i have uh, some podcasts i do that are not make ours marvel one of them is marvel it is return to cybertron a transformers uk podcast where i'm looking at the marvel comics about the transformers and the cartoons from the same era that is on twitter at tfuk podcast i also am talking my way through the uh early years of image comics over at all the pouches on twitter and if you are fascinated with wolverine and use like weird wolverine paraphernalia um go look at logan says chuck on twitter because uh, I'm going through and finding all the places where Wolverine calls Charles Xavier Charlie or Chuck, mm-hmm. which has been fun. Um, and that's our episode. That's it. So we'll be back next week if all goes according to plan. And even if it doesn't, we're, we're going to find a way to be here next week. Yes. So until then, or until the blob loses his powers and becomes a reality TV star, make, make ours marvel. marvel.